Hi, my name is Damilong Onwatim. I'm the pastor of Kings, and I'm super excited to welcome you to this special online experience with us at the Gathering of Kings. Yes, we're gathered. You are on that side of the screen. I'm on this side of the screen, but what's true is that the power of the Holy Ghost is with us as we gather, whether we're two or three, and I've got more than two people with me on Saturday, and we just trust God for an amazing time. We're trusting God we're going to have a fruitful time of worship, fruitful time of prayer. The Word of God will be declared to us in clarity and in power. You will find strength. Your faith will be renewed. You will be established in the truth. And together, we're going to grow. Now, before I go into the Word that God has for us today, and God has an amazing Word for us. We've got somebody who's very special in the house, a member of our King's Music team. But she's so gifted and anointed and talented and she's such a blessed woman of God. Please celebrate with me. Join me in appreciating this special vessel, Rosa Keys, as she leads us in about 10 minutes of worship.
Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. That is who Way maker, miracle worker. Greater than death, you are greater than anything. You are greater than death, you are greater than anything. You are greater than death, you are greater than anything. You are greater than death, you are greater than anything. You are greater than death, you are greater than anything. You are greater than sickness, greater than everything. You are greater than COVID, you are greater than everything. Our God is greater, our God is Our God, our King, we acknowledge you as the great God. 
You are greater than every mountain. You are greater than every obstacle. You are greater than every epidemic, every pandemic, every struggle, every care, every fear, every doubt, every attack, every harassment, every issue, every challenge, every problem, every difficulty, every stronghold. You are great and greatly to be praised, oh God. From the depths of our hearts, we lift our voices in acknowledgement of your sovereignty. Our hands will raise to you. Our hands will wave to you. Our hands will lift to you. And we say, God, you are great. You are strong. You are high. You are mighty. You are awesome. You are faithful. You are kind. You are generous. You are undefeatable. God, you are awesome. And to you, we give all the praise. To you, we give all the glory. Thank you for life. Thank you for strength. Thank you for joy. Thank you for increase. Thank you for power. Thank you for safety. Thank you for being our hiding place, our rock, our shelter from the storm, our shield in times of difficulty, our emancipation, our victory, our banner, the lifter of our heads, our helper, our comforter. Thank you, Lord. We worship you and you alone. Thank you. Because our worship is accepted in you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen and amen. Right where you are on your bed, on the pillow, in the living room, with your friends and family, wherever you are, can you just clap those hands right now? Can you open your mouth as you clap those hands right now and give the Lord your God an awesome, magnificent, royal uproar? Come on, somebody give God praise right now. Yes, you can do it louder. You can shout stronger. Your voice is not quarantined. Give God praise in the house of God. Hey! Amazing, amazing, amazing. We thank you for that amazing session of worship. Can we just celebrate Rosa Keys for sharing our gift with us today and over the last couple of months and in fact years now that she has been with us. We're so grateful for your gift. We celebrate you. We honor the anointing of God upon your life. The best is yet to come. You keep shining, radiating the glory of God in Jesus' name. Now, God has a word for you. I don't know where you are, what you're going through. But this I know. God has a sure word for you. And you need to get ready for it. Expectation is currency in the spirit. The Bible says the expectation of the righteous will not be cut short. What it means is that if you expect something, then you'll receive something. If you have great expectations, then you're going to receive great returns. You receive a, a great revelation, a clear word, a strong word. So I want your expectation to be high. I wanted to expect a clear instruction. I wanted to believe that God is going to speak right into the midst of what you've been thinking, some questions that you have had in your mind, some debates, some arguments, some contention maybe here and there. And we're going to be back. I'm going to give you 15 to 20 seconds. Get your notepad. Get your writing material. Get your digital device. Get your tab. Knock off the distractions. This is not a time for you to check the notification on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. This is the time for you to hear what God is tweeting into your spirit and what God is putting as an instant kilogram of revelation on the inside of you as we face the book of life itself. I'll see you shortly and we're going to be blessed. See you soon. Love is language stronger than hate. Love is forgiveness. It doesn't run away. Love needs no weapon.
So you're welcome back. It's an exciting day to hear the word of God. The word of God is the articulate expression of the life of God. And anytime we gather, whether we're gathered, gathering in a live setting or via technology like this, we can be sure that the word of God is not impeded. The Bible makes it very clear in John chapter 6 verse 6 or 3. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. So as you hear these words, the word of God is coming to you. The spirit of God is imparting upon you fresh life, fresh strength and fresh energy. I pray for everyone right now who might be feeling maybe a little weak or tired from the stress of all the news and broadcasts and things like that. Receive life, receive strength, receive virtue in the name of Jesus Christ. Fear has no space in your life. You will not be useless in this season. You will be useful. You will tap into the core of divine intelligence and maximize the season and beyond in Jesus' name. I pray that God will release unto you innovation, invention, creative dimensions of his grace in a way you've never seen it before. Now let's go real quick to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm going to read from the first verse all the way to the 10th verse. 2 Samuel chapter 7, please come with me as I read. The word says in verse 1, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house. Who's the king? King David. And the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. So if you have enemies in your life, you're in good company because the man after God's heart David also had enemies. In other words, loving God does not exempt you from enemies. And as a matter of fact, enemies can be instrumental to the fulfillment of God's plan for your life. David may not have amounted to much without Goliath. Likewise, Jesus may not have fulfilled his earthly ministry without the ministry of Judah. So if there are enemies in your life, don't get overwhelmed. God's got you. Got your back. It says that when God had given him rest from all his enemies round about, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar. That's like the finest wood that they had in the days of David. So, so David was saying, how can I be living in a sophisticated architectural masterpiece? And then God is living in a tent. God is living in a box. That's what he was saying to the prophet Nathan. And he said, see now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tent curtains. Remember back in the day we had tapolin tents, right? That's what he was saying. Then Nathan said to the king David, Go do all that is in your house, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from Egypt, even to this day. But I have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I spoken? a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying why have you not built me a house of cedar now therefore thus shall you say to my servant David thus says the Lord of hosts I took you from the sheepfold from, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people over Israel and I have been with you wherever you have gone and I've cut off all your enemies from before you and I've made you a great name like the name of of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people, Israel, and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. 
nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. Let me, let me just stop there. So the story basically is David has a passion for God. David really loves God. The Bible describes David as a man after God's heart. That's the description that God uses in describing, that the Bible uses in describing David. And so David says, you know what? I, I can't say I love God and then his house is in a fallen state or that which represents his presence, which was the Ark of the Covenant, is in a funny place. Because when we really love someone or love people or some things, we want to invest heavily in those things. And that, and that was the deal. So David understands the place of spiritual authority. He speaks to the prophet Nathan and said, this is what I plan to do. The prophet speaks out of his own accord and says, you know what, David, do anything you want to do. Do what is in your heart. This is a good project. This is a good idea. However, God spoke to the prophet and said, David, you don't just do what you feel like doing. All these years where you know, I've been with you and there's been the Ark of the Covenant, have I told anybody? Did I tell uh, Moses? Did I tell the sons of Moses? Did I tell the judges, the people that came after, uh, the priests rather, that came after that dispensation? Did I tell them to build me an Ark? So why are you thinking about this now? God said, I have a plan for my house. I have a plan for my people. And I'm going to bring them to an appointed place. I have a plan to house my people. I have an agenda. I have a goal. I have a kingdom. I have something I am building. And please look at what God said in verse 10. He said, number one, I'm going to appoint a place. So for every child of God, there is an appointed place. Number two, there is an appointed plan. Why? I said, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and I will plant them. So that place that God has in mind, that house that God has in mind is a house of appointment, is a house where there is a plan for their lives and is a house where they're supposed to be planted. Then it said that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. And in that place, they're going to be established. They're going to grow. And it said something important that the sons of wickedness will not oppress them from there. So the place that God has for you is a place of planting, as a place of an appointment, as a place where there's a plan, and as a place where you are going to be shielded from oppression. So here's the deal. Where is this place that God has in mind? If God is saying to David, don't build me a physical infrastructure, don't build me a monstrous architectural element, what is that place all about? Let me take you back a little bit so that you can understand the context of this teaching. Remember there was a time when Jacob was running away from his brother. He was running just fleeing away from the wrath of his brother Esau and all of a sudden gets to a place where he's tired, he's exhausted from his race and he gets a pillow. He puts his head on the stone. Rather, it's not a pillow, it's a stone, but he uses the pillow as a stone. He puts his head on it and the word is that he had a vision and in that vision he saw angels that were going up and down that particular uh, ladder, ladder rich from heaven to the earth. Now in Genesis 20, let me read it to you, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So the first person that ever spoke about the house of God, the first person that ever acknowledged the embodiment of a place or the appointment of a place as the house of God was actually Jacob. He literally stumbles on that place and he calls that place Bethel 
or the house of El, of El Shaddai, the house of El, the, the house of God, the place where God dwells. And it's interesting that even though he built a memorial there, we see all through the Bible that God cannot be pitched, cannot be locked, cannot be trapped to a physical space, to a physical building. We see this in the life of Jacob. We see this in the life of Abraham as he moved from place to place and God was with him as he moved. We see this in the life of Isaac where he dug different wells from Sitna to Essek and the Rehoboth. So he was moving from place to place and God was moving with him. So when it was that David wanted to build a place for God, God is saying, I'm not the kind of person that you can box in a certain physical environment. When we look at the New Testament, we see this even a lot clearer in Acts chapter 7. Acts 7 verse 48 to 49. It says, however, the most high, the one infinitely exalted above, above humanity, amplified version. It says, does not dwell in houses made by human hands, as the prophet Isaiah said. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool for my feet. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what place is there for my rest? So basically, as the prophet Isaiah was inspired to prophesy, you can't put God in a physical house. God is too big to fit into the perimeters of a building, no matter how broad they are, and no matter how high the roof is, no matter how great the foundation is, because this is the God who made heaven and who made the earth. By the way, let me just mention this, that God is bigger than the heaven and God is bigger than the earth, because if God made heaven and earth, where was he before he made heaven in the first place? <laughs> Come on, right? And then Acts 17, 24 to 25, it says, the God who created the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, because it is he who gives to all people life and breath and all things. So we see over and over through the Bible that God is saying, my power is not limited, is not limited to this physical building, so those physical structures. And the fact that you're not in a physical structure does not mean the power of God is not evident, the power of God is not manifest, or the power of God is still not palpable and tangible, right? The power of God is still there, still concrete, still uh, full of life. And the power of God is still available for us even in the season. Now, by the way, why are we talking about this, this house now? Because God wants us to have a heart for his house. By the house, he doesn't just want us to have a heart for physical buildings and physical structures in which many of us cannot even meet right now, but he wants us to have a heart for his system of operation operating on earth. His system of operations on the earth. That God has a house, but that house is not a physical house. God has an encasement. God has a move. God has a system. God has a template on the earth, and it wants us to have a heart for the house. If you can just type in the comment box right now, type a heart for the house. Type it right now. Right now. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting for you. Type it. Type it. Type it in the comment. A heart for the house. Do it again and again. A heart for the house. Great. Now, so what exactly is this house? When Jesus speaks to us, he begins to give us an idea of what this house is. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, 
also I say to you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So the house that God is building, Jesus now tells us what that house is. That that house is the church. That's the house God is building. God is not building a hundred story building. God is not building a fantastic glass house that is on top of a mountain, Kilimanjaro, Everest. God is not building some underground bunkers. God is not building some titanium walled edifice somewhere. God is not building a diamond crusted fiscal building. What God is building is a spiritual building. It's a house that encases him or that carries or manifests his glory. Let me not use the word encasement because that could be limited. But a house that manifests his power. A house through which people can encounter his glory. And Jesus says that that house is not a physical building. That house is the church. Now Paul expounds on that reality and in Ephesians 2 19 to 22. Ephesians 2 19 to 22 Paul explains it further. He says now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Come on. I wish somebody could just get excited right now. In the natural if they said to you you are now a member of the Bill Gates household. You know many people who are natural human beings are going to be excited. So you are now a member of the Warren Buffet household. My goodness people are going to be excited. You are now a member of Jack Ma the founder of Alibaba household. You are now a member of the royal family in the UK. Many people will be so excited about that. But this is greater than the White House. This is greater than any black house and your house. This is the house of God. And God says you are now a member of his house. Now when you are inside this house, guess what? The temperature that you feel is the temperature of the house. I'm not feeling the temperature on the outside. I'm feeling the temperature of this house. So when it says you're a member of the household of God, that means that the atmospheric reality of your life is the atmosphere of heaven. It means, my goodness, that the temperature of your life is the temperature of heaven. It means that the environment on the inside of the house is the environment of your life. That means that you are plugged into a space of peace because there is peace in the house. There is joy in the house. Your life is joyful. There is peace in the house. So your life is peaceful. There is grace in the house. So your life is graceful. There is anointing in the house. So your life is full of the anointing. Your, Your life is anointing full. Let me put it that way, right? Because you're in the house. If you can high five yourself right now, you can high five somebody else, but slap yourself a high five like this and say, Daddy, you're in the house of God. You're in the house of God. Don't forget, it's not a building. As long as you're conscious of the power and the presence of God, you're in the house of God. As long as you're saved, filled with the power of God, you're in the house of God. As long as your sins are forgiven, your name is written in the book of life, you're in the house of God. By the spirit of adoption, you are brought into the house of God. So Paul says to the efficient church, like I'm saying to you, you are no longer a stranger. You know what happens with strangers? What what happens with strangers? They are kept outside. Like right now where people are isolated and a stranger comes to your door, knocks on the door. Chances are that you're not going to open the door and say, wow, welcome. Come into my living room. Come into my kitchen. Come into the bedroom. But you'll be like, you know what? Excuse me, please. Who are you again? Who are you looking for? What's going on? But God says that when you come with this consciousness in the place of prayer, the study of the word, in worship, God is not saying, who are you?
you again. God is not locking you on the outside. You can enter into new chambers of glory and power and the anointing of God. I pray for you today, regardless of what you might have been going through all week long or where you are, that because you are a member of the household of God, you begin to experience the atmosphere of heaven. You begin to feel and experience the palpable joy of God in the name of Jesus. I rebuke that spirit of fear. There is no fear in the house. So there is no fear in your life. Can I get some hearts on that? Some likes on that? Some shares on that? And it says we're members of the household of God having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. So it says that we're being built together. Now this is the exciting thing about this house. The exciting thing about the house that God is building is that it is not brick and mortar it is made up of believers those of us who believe in him those of us who are one with with him those of us who are in in like minds with him that have been called by his name blood bought word washed spirit filled fire baptized revelation illuminated we have been built we are part of that house and that God lives on the inside of us can I just tell you something that when you believed Jesus Christ when you accepted his finished work on the cross the blood did not just make a way for you to enter into God the blood made a way for God to enter into your life so God dwells on the inside of you so the house that God is building is not just one house somewhere you have to travel to you are a part of that house somebody say I'm a part of that house oh yes I know you can say loud and say I am a part of that house say louder I am a part of that house now Peter also explains it to us first Peter chapter 2 1 to 5 first Peter chapter 2 1 to 5 says therefore laying aside all malice all deceit hypocrisy envy and all evil speaking as newborn babes the way newborn babes desire the milk of the word it says desire the pure milk the sincere milk the unadulterated milk of the word so that you can grow by it it says if indeed you have tasted the lord is gracious coming to him how as a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious you also as living stones somebody say i'm a living stone i know maybe your favorite missionary is not david livingstone but you're a living stone your son is not living stone but you're a living stone a stone that is growing that is dynamic that is robust that carries life it says as living living stones we are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ that's first Peter 2 1 to 5 in the NKJV so we see that what God is building is this house and so he wants us to have a heart for the house he wants us to have a heart for his church he wants us to have a heart for his people Jesus said upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of all will not prevail against it what it means is that the thing that Christ committed to building on earth is not a business is not a political organization is not a social reformation organization the thing that God committed to building on earth is his church the thing that God has committed to building on earth is not an NGO 
it's his church. Now, is there anything wrong with building a business? No. Is there anything wrong with building a political organization? If you're serving people to the best of your ability as outlined in the word of God and you're adding great value, it's not necessarily wrong. However, what Jesus commits to building is not any of those things. What it commits to building is the church, which means that even if you're involved in an NGO, in a political machinery, some kind of outlet organization, it needs to have roots in what God is doing on earth, what God is looking at on earth. The church is the agency for executing the plans of God, the agenda of God, the mind of God. It's the body of Christ. What do you do with your body? It is the instrument by which you serve, you walk around, you connect with people, you add value in the workplace. Similarly, as you have a head and you transmit the thoughts of your head to the body, Christ is the head of the church and we are the body. He wants us to have a heart for it. By the way, you can't claim that you love Jesus Christ, but you don't love his body. That's like you looking at a, a lovely lady and saying, you know what? Your head is so beautiful, but your body is ugly. <laughs> it does not work anywhere in the world. So, you know, you have very cute eyes. You have a lovely nose, but I can't stand your legs. And I'm disgusted by your stomach. I'm turned off by your body. That would be wrong. But that's what some people do when they say, I love Jesus Christ, but I hate the church. I love Jesus Christ. So we need to have a heart for the house. And everybody that God used massively had a heart for the house of God. Moses had a big heart for what God was doing in the earth. Daniel was working in the governmental space, but he had a heart for God's people. Esther had a heart for God's people. David had such a big heart for the house of God. And see what David said in the book of First Chronicles chapter 29, 1-2. to It says, Furthermore, King David said to all in the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen is young and inexperienced and the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God so even when we have church gatherings church buildings it's really not for man God uses men to build those things but it's not for man it said it's for the Lord God now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might this is David speaking that I have such a big heart for God I'm not doing this for Solomon I'm not doing this for Nathan that I'm not doing this to break a record. He said it's the house of my God. He took it personally. He wasn't expecting strangers to do that. He said for the house of my God, look at what it said, I have prepared with all my might. When was the last time you prepared with all your might for the house of God? Whether it's an offering you have to give or cleaning the facility or inviting people to that space or making recommendations or suggestions. When was the last time? David said I used all my you know what David was saying? That I took this matter of building God's house more than I took killing Goliath. That for me, taking care of God's house is so much more demanding and is of greater priority than killing the lion and the bear. Yet we have people in our generation who want to use the house of God to kill the lion and the bear, not realizing that the house of God is superior to exploits in the marketplace. That what you do in the gathering of the believers registers a lot deeper than you making your first million dollars or you know getting the following of 50 billion people wherever you get them from on social media. He said, I have prepared with all my heart 
heart. He says, gold for things to be made of gold. Silver for things to be made of silver. Bronze for things of bronze. Iron for things of iron. Wood for things of wood. Onyx stones, stones to be set. Glistening stones of various colors. All kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. This is David preparing for the house of God. So quickly, what are five things we can do to cultivate a heart for the house? Let me just say this. If you're a real believer, you're saved. Your destiny is connected to the house. That's why God said, I will plant them. It means until you find that house, you may not be planted in the purposes of God. What does it mean? Now, there's the global house, which is the global church. But for every believer, God also has a local congregation. What you call the local church. Your local church. A local church is not a church in the village. A church in the village. A church in the backside. It just means a local gathering of believers. Your destiny is connected to it. Sometimes, in fact, the biggest decisions you make in your life are rooted in that local gathering. The prophetic words that will shape your thinking. The people you will get married to will be influenced by that local church. Some of you will find your partners in Kings, your life partners. Some of you may not find your life partners in Kings, but you will find your life partners through people who are connected to Kings or your local church if you're not a member of Kings and you're watching this right now. Some of you, your biggest business opportunities will open up in that space. Gifts of the Spirit will be activated in that space. Your revelation of Jesus Christ and consequently, revelation of yourself will be revealed or released in that space. So five quick things. Number one, to have a heart for the house, you must stay, grow, and walk consistently in fervent love for the house. Let me say that again. Number one, you must stay, grow, and walk in fervent love consistently for the members of that house. Look at what Psalm 26 verse 8 says. Psalm 26 verse 8. It says, Lord, I have loved the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Where does the glory of God dwell? In believers and in the gathering of believers. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. When we're saying the glory of the latter house shall be greater than the former, he's not talking about the physical building. The latter house is the building that our lives are. He's talking about our bodies and our gatherings together. That's the latter house. And that glory is superior to the temple that Solomon built, to the tabernacle that Moses built. You get what I'm saying? So understand this now. The first thing is love. God wants us to love his house. You know the way you love your favorite show on Netflix. You know the way you love it when somebody reposts your post on Instagram. You know the way you love it when somebody shares your post on Facebook. You know the way you love it. You love it when you're TikToking on TikTok and you're still talking on TikTok and you don't know what else to say, right? You know the way you love it? God wants us to love his house. He wants us to have an emotional attachment to the house. You know when you love something, people talk know about it. You can't say you are a true member or you have a heart for your local church and your friends don't know and you're following online don't know. He said, let me just shake this table right now. Some of you, you're a member of Kings or your local church. I think you've never posted anything about Kings or about your pastor or about fellow believers. Then there is something a little funny there because when you really love something, you, you speak about it. You talk about it. And that love has to be palpable. So the first thing, you know, David wasn't af afraid to say this. He said, I have loved the habitation of your house. So when they say, you're always carrying kings on your head. You're always carrying Jesus on your head. You are doing well. Oi, you're doing well. <laughs> you're doing well, right? You're doing well. When it is, you will begin to say, your own is too much. That means you're just getting started. You must have fervent love. Not just for the gathering, but for specific people. 
Amplified says, Oh Lord, I, have lo- I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Romans 12 verse 10, he says, Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. He's not talking about lust or perversion. In honor, giving preference to one another. Now let me read what it says in the contemporary, contemporary Amplified. He said, Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family. That means God expects you to take the people in your department, your service team, your unit, your Kings Connect Center, your house fellowship, those clusters, see them as your brothers. See them as your sisters. Now, do you realize something about spiritual families? The same way you don't choose your biological brothers and sisters, you don't get to choose your spiritual brothers and sisters. And you know some of you, you have brothers in your biological family that you find annoying. Come on, have I got a witness? Mm. You have some sisters that just get on your nerves. Why do you think to be different from your spiritual family? Some members of your department will get on your nerves. But the same way you don't debrother your biological brother, you cannot debrother your spiritual brother. <laughs> of course, it's not an excuse to be irresponsible or to be rude or impolite or nasty. And of course, there's a lot of disciplinary measures that can come into those kind of scenarios. But at the base of it, God wants you to love members of your local church. He wants it to be from your heart, something that springs consistently. He doesn't want it to be a hypocrite. He doesn't want it to feel forced. It shouldn't be a forced thing. It's a kind affection. Number two, if you're hearing any voices, that's from the children's church. <laughs> Number two, hear this. God wants you, so somebody say love. Now say this, let's say it together. I love my local church. And I love the global church. Say, I love kings. Say, I'm in love with kings. Or your local church, if you're a member of kings, I'm in love with XYZ International Church or ABC Assemblies or whatever you Say, I love. Right. Because when you love the body, you are honoring the head as well. Number two, if you're going to have a heart for the house, you must be a builder and not a breaker. Be a home builder and not a home breaker. What am I saying home? Spiritual family is home. Right. So be a home builder. Now what does that mean? Be a force of unity. Be a galvanizer. Be the one who rallies people together. Don't be the person who speaks rumor, who releases gossip, who incites offense. When somebody's upset, yes, that's the way they are in that church. That's the way they are in this ministry. That's the way. Now anytime, watch this now. Listen to this please. Anytime you go into slander, you have just started volunteering in the PR department of hell. Gossip, slander, backbiting, those things make you interns in the public relations department of hell. Because the devil likes to slander, likes to gossip, likes to backlash. Now, one of the things that I usually tell people is, if you can't tell somebody something to their face, maybe you should reconsider saying it. And if you can't tell somebody something to their face, maybe you should tell somebody who can tell them nothing to their face. But never get into a place where like, I, I'm saying this, so I don't want him to know, but I'm saying this. Come on. Except, of course, it's a, a proprietary information or some kind of sensitive information. But I'm talking about you having an issue with somebody. God wants us to be that open, to be able to say, you know what? what you did to me I didn't really like it I expected more of you I was really upset and angry but I want us to talk about it because I'm looking for a way for us to get past this look at what Hebrews chapter 3 4 to 6 says Hebrews 3 4 to 6 it says for every house 
is built by someone. Now, one of the challenges many of us have is that we see maybe this ministry and they're doing great stuff. You'd be like, I want to be a member of that church. Listen, every house is built by someone. So if you see something that looks like an impressive structure, a skyscraper of some kind of ministry that is huge and gigantuan, either in terms of scale and size or maybe in terms of impact and weight and depth, it's because somebody labored in prayer. Somebody labored in the word. Somebody labored in organization and leadership. If you see a business that is thriving, even in this kind of times, guess what? Somebody built it. So be a builder. Don't just be a consumer. Be a contributor. Let me say that again. Don't just be a consumer. Be a contributor. Be a co-creator. Be a partner with God. Be involved in the process of building. So Hebrews 3, 4 to 6, for every house is built by someone, but he who builds all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which will be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. So look at this now. He's saying that God built all things. You know, so sometimes people have the idea that I did it by myself. Nope. Anything you're able to do by yourself is an extension, an expression of God's benevolence, grace, and providence. Now, there's also the, the other extreme where people be like, oh, you know what? I can't do anything. No, it's God that does everything. No, it's God that does everything. He said, this is how it works. God does everything, and then he leaves a space for you to occupy. That place is a place of stewardship, is a place of faithfulness, is the place of personal investment, self-sacrifice, discipline, contribution, giving, patience, love, and he empowers you by his Holy Spirit. That's why he says, God built all things, but then he says, the Moses was faithful in all his house. And then he says, Jesus as well is faithful over his own house. So there is a space for you, and God wants you to be a builder. Say with me, I am a builder. Say, I'm a builder in the house. I'm not just a consumer. I'm not the Mr. Jeba Jeba. Mr. Muko Muko, that's somebody who just comes to eat and consume and all of that. I'm a builder in the house. Be a builder. Build the bridge. Build the bridge between those that don't know God and those who, are, who know God. Build the bridge through evangelism. Build the bridge by inviting somebody. Right now, as we're not gathering physically, be the bridge builder. Don't go like, oh, you know what? That team rep is not even mindful of you. Has he called you? Has she called? They don't care about you. I'm the person calling you. When somebody has that Tony, that directly or indirectly, that person is a breaker. Because a builder wants to pull people together. He does not want to usurp authority, power, affection, or move the wheels of people in his own direction. He's building in line with Christ. So watch out for people who always want to look like the only good guy in the system. That spirit is not the spirit of God. It's oftentimes the spirit of self, which is the spirit of Satan. The spirit of God wants to galvanize. The spirit of God wants to build people together. The spirit of God wants to pull people together. Shout at where you are. I am a builder and not a breaker. Yes, builder, not a breaker. Number three is that you want to pray for the house and members of the house. Can I ask you a question? When was the last time you prayed for somebody other than yourself? 
I'm not even talking about somebody who was in crisis and desperate and about to die. I'm talking about somebody that based on love or your perception of what they might be going through or some kind of spiritual urgency you felt. You, you labored in prayer. You presented your case before God. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray for members of the house. And then he wants us to pray for the house itself. Now that we're not gathering, have you prayed for the facility of your church? Have you prayed, God, let there be no burglar, let there be no violation, let there be no strange stranger moving? Have you prayed this kind of prayers? God expects you to pray this kind of prayers. And that's what you would do. Imagine that you went to a certain place and then you left your bag, maybe at the airport or whatever. Your heart will still be there, right? And you will pray, Lord, take care of that stuff. And that's part of having a heart for the house. Glory to God. Now look at what it says in Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, 18 to 20. It says, with all prayer and petition, pray. In brackets, it says, with specific requests at all times. Isolation time, consolation time, solution time, solution time, solvent. It says, all times, pray. It says, on every occasion and in every season. People pray only when there's O and B. How about when Kosimbe? Will you still pray when there's no parry? When there's no parry, <laughs> will you still pray? When there's no parry, there's only what? Friends. Will you still pray? In those seasons, it says pray never seasons, pray never time. It says pray in the spirit, and with this in view, stay alert with all perseverance and petition. It says interceding in prayer for all God's people. Then it says pray for me. That words may be given to me when I open my mouth to proclaim boldly the mystery of the goodness of salvation for which I am an ambassador in chains and pray that in proclaiming it, I may speak boldly and courageously as I should. So he says, pray for members of the house, pray for people on your team, pray for people in your connect centers, pray for people on the service team, pray for the pastor and his family. Pray. Paul says, pray for me. Don't say, oh, I can't pray for my pastor. You can pray in the sacred place. You can intercede and cry out to the Lord and pray in the spirit. You don't know exactly what to pray. Pray in other tongues. So pray. God wants us to pray. So don't forget, number one, fervent love for the house. Number two, pray for the house, members of the house. Number three, find your place and feel your space. The third way to have a heart for the house is find your place and feel your space. You know, many times people say things like, oh, there's a faction in that church. They are sects. They have cliques. Now, whilst I'm not advocating that, it is almost not preventable in any social system. What's going to happen in many social systems is that certain people who have like minds or like gifts or like history or backgrounds will begin to gravitate. It does not mean that they are being exclusive, even if it appears so, and we must intentionally guard against being exclusive, but you can't stop that from happening. That's why even in, in the nation of Israel, there were tribes, and the tribes there were clans, and the clans there were families. What you need to do is find your own space. Am I a Zebulonite? Am I a Benjamite? Am I what height am I? Obviously not an Ammonite or a Hittite or Hivite, right? But find your place. In other words, are you gifted in music? Or are you gifted in counseling? Or are you gifted in follow-up? Or are you gifted in praying, intercession? Or are you gifted in giving? Somebody goes, is there a gift like that? Yes, there's the gift of generosity. Some people are just generous. They just have the largesse. And Romans tells us that there's also that those who are gifted in that ministry calls given a ministry. You see that now. Now whilst everybody is calculating and budgeting and trying to, you know, they're just very open so that might be your place find your place 
and fill that space. Sometimes we feel left out maybe because we're the last people to join the team or the ministry. But if it's a growing ministry, watch this. No matter how fresh you are in the ministry, if it's a growing ministry, you become one of the older members. So it doesn't mean that you've been there for so long so you feel irrelevant or out of place. You keep finding out how can I serve? How can I serve? And by the way, in many places when you find somebody's name being mentioned oftentimes, often than other people, it's because the person is first to come to mind. Why? Because the person serves or the person gives or the person makes themselves available. Not the kind of person that when you're looking for someone to work, they're already hiding like, ah, I'm not there, I'm not, I don't want anybody to notice me. You know, and I know that there might be reasons why you do that, but you come out of that. It's not the house of the pastor, it's not your house, it's the house of God. Now look at what it says in Ephesians 4, 14 to 16. So that we are no longer children, spiritually immature, tossed to and fro like ships on a stormy sea and carried about by every wind of shifting doctrine by the cunning and trickery of unscrupulous men, dishonest men, by the deceitful scheming of people ready for anything, for personal profit. But speaking the truth in love in all things, both as speech and our lives expressing God's truth let us grow up in him let us grow up in all things let us grow up in all things into him following his example who is the head Christ from him the whole body the church in all its various parts now this is where I'm going to joined and knitted firmly together do you remember why you used to do the crochet thing when you're in secondary school or primary school especially ladies used to knit what does it mean to knit one thread goes under another one goes above another they're intertwined God says that's the system I have in mind concerning my body he says let's be knit together and it says something firmly together by what every joint supplies let me ask what are you supplying to your local church what are you supplying to the body are you just supplying yourself to fill up space are you just supplying yourself to be fed by the pastor to be nourished by the music team to be encouraged by the pastoral care unit to be catered to by the welfare unit to be followed up by the welcome and assimilation team or are you supplying something? You see, when God connects you to a house, he's got two things in mind. There's something in the house for you, but there's also something in you for the house. So he says, every joint is supplying that. When each part is working properly, it causes the body to grow and mature, building itself up in unselfish love. So supply something. Find your place and fill your space. Number four, fight for the unity of the house. Now this one is so important because if you just go like, mm, yeah, I'm not even there. Now one of the ways you fight for the unity of the house is in your mind. When you're connected to a house, don't say, they said. That's what they want. The moment you begin to see us versus them, guess what's happening? You are now causing division. You're starting that division in your heart. That's what they said, though. That's what they said. In other words, you're excluding yourself. And when you start excluding yourself, what happens is you start causing rift in your own heart. So, of course, certain times, certain decisions may be agreed upon that you are not cool with. That's not, But that's part of the opportunity for sacrifice. That's where you've got to lay down your life. See, even in Kings, things are not always done exactly the way I want those things to be done. Because I have to learn sometimes that I don't always have to have my way. If it's the house of God, I'm also growing. Now, it does not mean I don't exercise leadership or authority or I'm not in control. But it means that sometimes 
you allow people to learn at their pace. Sometimes you allow people to make mistakes, and sometimes you're even the one who is wrong. And the Holy Spirit has to teach you, even though you're the pastor, and has to lead you. So the point I'm really trying to make is the place for submission. If you're going to build a house or be a part of a ministry, a business, a family that will grow big and grow fully strong, not just in size, but in weight, and the purposes of God, you must be a an agent of unity. You must be insistent on keeping that house together. Ephesians 4, 1-6 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all holiness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. In other words, sometimes love is not enjoyable. You have to bear with people, but in love. People have this false idea about love. The thing that love is always, hey, hey, hey. Sometimes love is, hey, 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 hey. Sometimes is love is you're doing what I don't like but I still love you sometimes love is you're, you're you know taking me for granted but I still love you sometimes love has tears and it's still love it says bearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace do you know that the Bible never says endeavor that you have money all the time the Bible never says that never says endeavor that you don't lose your job never says endeavor that you, you get married before you're 23 or 25 but it says endeavor if there's anything you're going to invest heavily and intentionally in is keeping the unity keep the unity of this house keep the unity don't create that separate whatsapp group where you're analyzing what the pastor preached don't create if there's anything you're going to analyze analyze it in this presence or in a public forum don't don't if it's not even in your place <laughs> to begin to dissect and analyze what's in your place is to ask questions and if those questions are not properly answered from the word of God and you don't feel you should be a part of that house and you pray about it, then I don't think that God is going to keep you a prisoner in that space. Except, of course, he wants you to be an intercessor to be able to labor in prayer until the doctrinal direction is aligned. Are you saying this now? So you don't just react. Don't create that private WhatsApp group where you are discussing somebody's failure or weakness. Present it to the proper authorities. In many cases, that's the pastor or the team rep. Right. So he says, endeavor to keep that. It says, there is one body, one spirit. There's no two Holy Spirits. There's no two Jesus Christ. One body, one spirit. So if that spirit cannot address that issue in an open and loving manner, it might not be the spirit of God. Because the spirit of God is the spirit of love. Spirit of boldness. Don't say, I was, I was afraid. I didn't know what people would think. Well... Maybe you were afraid that what you, your position was not the right position. Maybe that's what you were afraid about. Maybe you just need to grow up in maturity to be able to handle this. It says, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and the Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10. It says, now I plead with you. Paul is pleading with the church. Brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what it said? It says that you all speak the same thing. Can you imagine how powerful it's going to be? Can you imagine a church where everyone speaks the same thing? The, not just the pastor, not just the pastor's family, not just the pastor, not just the leadership, but everybody. The people who have just joined the ministry. That kind of force causes hell to panic. That kind of unity. In fact, Jesus put it this way. He said, a city, rather a house that is divided against itself, shall not stand. That's what it said. So the kingdom that is divided cannot stand. A house that is divided cannot stand. But if you have that house together, once you have that house in unity, once you have that house standing together, you can't stop them. 
So he says, we must be united. He says, I'm beseeching you that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you. I like how the Bible puts it. They say, except somebody is finer, except somebody is richer, except the pastor loves somebody more, except uh, one person is the wisest. He said, regardless of the differences in status, in background, in stories, in history, in persuasion, it says, be united. And Paul says, I'm begging. In other words, it's that important. And then it says, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So this is not just about uniformity, it's about unity. It's not about you wearing the dress code of the music team, but you're not having the moral code of the music team. You know, you can keep the dress code and not keep the moral code. That you can look the part and not be a part. It says, in mind and in judgment, I want you to be united. It says, is Christ divided? Christ is not divided. God is not divided. God doesn't argue with himself. He doesn't debate the Holy Spirit. The Father doesn't debate the Holy Spirit of the Son. They're all united. Now, number five, a heart for the house. What should you do? Give generously to the house. The truth of the matter is whenever our hearts are involved in, we automatically give to those things. So what is true is that you can actually trace where your heart is by checking out your financial transactions. Whatever it is you spend money on, regularly and frequently is an indication of what your heart really is. So for people who are football fans, guess what they do? On betting, they spend money. On jerseys or jersey, they spend money. On watching stuff on satellite television, they spend money. On research, games, PSP, and all of that, they spend money. Now what are you spending money on? Are you spending money on the house of God? David spent money in the house of God. He said, I will not give to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Not only did he offer sacrifices, and you know, Solomon, the wisest man who walked the face of the earth, my wisest man in the certain context of wisdom, right? He gave, sacrificed a thousand bullocks. There are so many people today who are craving the wealth and the influence of Solomon, but they lack the heart and the sacrificial spirit of Solomon. They're praying, God, make me rich like Solomon. But do you know how that request was triggered? He offered a sacrifice. So, so many people want the wealth and the influence of Solomon, but they don't have the sacrificial spirit of Solomon. David did not just give to the house or as sacrifices, he gave to the house of God, the physical house of God. And we see that in the book of 1 Chronicles chapter 29 from verse 1. And King David said to the assembly, My son Solomon, whom the Lord God has chosen, is so young and inexperienced, and the work is great. What will work? Building the temple and ruling the kingdom. For the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. So with all my ability, I have provided for the house of my God. See, David was not rationing the budget of God. I didn't say, hmm. So if we are 5,000 members in this church, and each of us give 1,000 naira, that's 5 million naira. Mm-hmm. Let me just give my own 1,000. When you think like that, you're thinking from a scarcity mentality, you're thinking from a place of ignorance, or you're thinking from a place of lack. David said, I don't care who else is given. David said, I'm not even involved in this rationing thing. He said, personally, me, with all my ability. So how do you give to the house of God? Don't give to the house of God based on what you think the need is. You give to a beggar based on what you think the need is. You give to the house of God based on your honor and ability. The way you honor God, the way you esteem God, and the ability that you have. You see, God is not a beggar. The money you're giving him through the phone, you're doing the transfer via, through the computer, you're doing transfer via, through the internet, you're doing the transfer via, 
He's the one that created everything. So David said, my God's not a beggar. He's based on my ability. I've provided for the house of God. How many things are traceable to your gifts in the house, whether you're in kings or not? How many things are traceable? Not to, I'm not talking about general fundraising, fund drive, encouragement. Like I'm just talking about from your heart. David said that I have given. He said, I've given gold, I've given silver, I've given bronze, I've given iron, I've given onyx stones. Imagine that. I've given stones of antimony, I've given silvery white metal, in a similar translation, I've given alabaster in, in abundance. And then he said, in addition to all that I've provided for the Holy House, you know what he said? 3,000 talents of gold. From the gold of offer, the finest gold. In other words, give to God the finest you can afford per time. Don't save it much later. I was going to say, don't save it for the Antichrist to use. <laughs> but it might be very extreme. But by the way, when I say Antichrist, I'm talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. So of course, there might be times in your life you can't give that much. And God understands. But as much as you can, never let it be said that you could have done more and then you did not. You know what David said? I said, I've given seven thousands of refined silver. I've given uh, to overlay the walls of the buildings, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. That is for all the work to be done by craftsmen. Now, who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord? Then the rulers of the father's house, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, and the commanders of thousands and hundreds were the overseers of the king's work. What did they do? After the king did it, they said, no, which we must do. In other words, they were following the right example. All the captains, all the leaders, they offered willingly and they gave to the service of the king's house, or the house of God, 5,000 talents. David gave 3,000 talents. That means David alone gave 60% of the amount of gold that this guy's gave. He alone. 10,000 directs of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. Whoever had, precious, whoever had precious stones, gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. And at the end of it, it says, For with a whole and blameless heart, they are offered freely to the Lord. King David also rejoiced greatly. God wants us to give to the house. You can also read in 2 Corinthians 8, 7 to 11. God wants us to give. He wants us to be generous. He wants us, says, for you know the principle of Jesus Christ, how he was rich and was made poor, the youth through his poverty might become rich. The riches of God are beyond money. The riches of God are the full expression of his blessings in your life. But money is an extension of our appreciation and our love for God. I don't know what you have heard today, but there's are five ways in which you can develop a heart for the house. Do you have a heart for the house? Are you going to consistently stay in, grow in, and walk in fervent love for your brothers and sisters in the house? Are you going to be that person who says, I'm not a divider, I'm not a breaker, I'm a builder. Are you that person who's saying, you know what, concerning the house of the Lord, I'm finding my place and I'm feeling my space. Are you that person who's saying, I will ensure the unity, I will fight for the unity of this house. I will not let somebody talk about the body of Christ and I'll be quiet. I won't let somebody in the workplace, in the office, on the street, on Twitter streets, or Instagram streets, or Facebook streets, or offline streets, speak against my God and against Jesus Christ and the church. I won't allow somebody chat me up and badmouth my pastor, or my brother in Christ, or my sister in Christ. I will fight for the unity of the house. I'm not personally saying I will give to the house. 
What does the prophet have managed against the whole world and loses his own soul? God wants that, that heart for the house to be organic. He wants us to love his house. Like David said, I've loved your house, oh God. And I know this might not be the most popular thing, but you know what? As you build the house of God, guess what happens to your house? Construction, edification, security, strength. That's what happens in your house. And I just, we're just going to pray at this time. Lord, that you help us to be immersed in the spirit of this truth. Not only to hear this truth, but to be stirred up by it to God. And this becomes our ongoing reality. It becomes a part of the fabric of our beings. And Lord, we come forward with repentance in any area, oh God, in any area where we have missed it, in any area where we've been nonchalant, in any area where we've overlooked the vital things, in any area where we've become so conceited and full of ourselves or we've cared about our own houses. And we haven't learned from David who said, how can I believe it in the finest of houses? And the Lord's house is in a furnace state. Help us to make the right sacrifices, to see as you see, to cherish your house as you love it, to know that you died, not for a building, but for a people. And as a people will love one another, will love one another, will love one another from our hearts, not with dissimulation, not with eye service, not as men please us, but from the depths of our being. Lord, we just thank you right now for your love sweeping across this atmosphere. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen and amen. So we're going to close in a brief moment with some sounds and some spontaneous songs. But before we do that, I want us to honor the Lord with our giving. It's very important. And this is an opportunity for us to actually practice that which we have heard. Now, I do know that many of us already give culturally and habitually and based on revelation. But it's important for us to remind ourselves of this truth. Where it says, the don't appear before me empty-handed. And then the word says that God loves a cheerful giver. It does not mean that God doesn't love the other people. But it means the person that gives cheerfully, he enjoys a dimension of God's love. That the person that does not give, does not enjoy. And don't see it as like, you know, God punishing those other people. But because giving causes yourself, your flesh to die. And every time the flesh dies, guess what happens? You enjoy a greater flow of the spirit. That's the truth. When the flesh dies, when you feel... Like sleeping with somebody you're not married to and you deny yourself of that. Or you feel like giving somebody a piece of your mind, you deny yourself of that. You feel like fighting and you hold it back. Every time you do that, God rewards you with more of himself. Because the reward for loving and honoring God is more of God. God said to Abraham, I'm your shield and your excellently great reward. So your true reward for giving is more of God. And today, give with this consciousness. It's not about the number of people in your denomination or church or local church. Give, like David said, from the best of your ability, based on where you are right now. I know maybe some people have not earned some, their salary or gotten an income or a wage for the last couple of weeks or months. doesn't matter, but maybe God has blessed you in a different way. Now, if you're not in a state to give right now physically, say, God, I don't want this to ever happen again. I'm trusting you for an inflow this week. Are you ready to give? I'm ready to give. I'm going to be doing my transfer so you can do a transfer as well to this account. Follow the account details on the screen, but let me just read a primary account in the Naira denomination. It's 0255163388. 0255163388. 
888. Come on, bring out your phone. You're possibly watching this on your phone. So bring out your other device right now. And it's a GT Bank account in the Naira. GT Bank. But you can give in dollars, you can give in euros, you can give in pounds sterling. 0255163388. And, and as you give, give cheerfully. Give with expectation. Lord, I thank you for every giver today. I thank you, Lord, for life. I thank you for increase. I thank you that they express more of you, O oh God. And for everyone who's in a desperate situation financially, your word says that you've promised never to leave us, not to forsake us. So I pray for a massive inflow. Place our names in the hearts of people and cast them to minister to us favorably. Let things open up, even if this season that seems dry and depleted. I pray, O oh Lord, for massive outbursts of supernatural supply. I give you praise that every need is met. And this that we give today goes for the advancement of your house. It goes for the fulfillment of your purpose, the manifestation of your glory, and discipleship of nations. We give you praise of God for it's done right now. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Somebody say amen right where you are. Raise your voice, wave those hands, and give God praise and glory. Thank you for joining us again on the Special Kings online experience. We're going to just sing out in the next couple of minutes, seconds, minutes perhaps. Join us as we worship. Join us as we flow in grace. God's grace is yours. Like this, share this, post the comment. Let's know how much of a blessing it was. Pass the link on to all your friends. Look out for your brothers and sisters. Don't forget you have a heart for the house. And as you have a heart for the house, you will enjoy the blessings of the house of God and the unique expressions of those blessings in this house. God bless you. Rosie, can you take it away?
Get it.